Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Hi, as Oliver Turner, uh, Executive Vice President of Corporate Development from Cora Resources. Uh, Cora Resources is a 100,000 answer producer in Western Australia with two assets feeding a centralized mill. We're a couple weeks away here from a major growth plan announcement, which will be expanding that production basis. And uh, we're excited to deliver it. Hello, Oliver. Long time no speak. How have you been? Uh, fantastic. How are you doing, Matt? Yeah, good, good. Well, we quite, we, it's been a while since we caught up with Cora. Uh, we spoke with Paul back in February. Um, yep. Except he's now shot off to Australia, family and that's all. Right. Yeah, that's right. He shipped all the kids down there with him. Uh, it was a very significant move. I mean, if you look at what he did at Klondex with moving his family to Nevada to focus on building out that company, this is a very uh, similar story here. Uh, the impact of him being down there has already been tremendous, uh, both from the operational perspective and our Perth office. In fact, uh, I think you'll have a chuckle when he hears this, but they had to uh, drag him kicking and screaming out of the mines the first time he was down there. Uh, he was very happy to be down there talking to the miners at the face. That is what he's done at, at the beginning of his career and at the core room, he is an operator. So great to have him down there. The impact has been tremendous and I think it's gonna translate into a lot of value for shareholders this year. Right, we, we, we can expect to see it like a slight fall in production on that day, can we? That yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> A couple hours there where we're, yeah, exactly. <laughs> guys away from the base, yeah. <laughs> have to play catch up. Um, okay, so, but, but in all seriousness, you know, Paul's made a big commitment to move himself and the family over. That's a bit, that's a big deal. So, what yeah. exactly was he trying to solve by doing that? I, you know, I don't think the market really minded, but what he obviously saw the need to do it. What, what was he going after? Yeah. Absolutely. So look, with what we've been putting together over the last seven, eight months, which is obviously the growth plan that we're going to be announcing before the end of the second quarter here, there were a lot of moving parts that needed to be pulled together. Um, there's a, you know, a very serious expansion, particularly at, at Beta Hunt upcoming, and Paul is a mining expert. So him being there locally on site where he can be at the assets every two weeks for multiple days um, really will make a difference in terms of her execution. Now, if you think about him and Graham alongside each other, having those two execute this plan across multiple assets um, will ensure not only that we execute, but that we execute very, very well. So I, we've been talking to a few Aussie companies in Western Australia, and you know some of the problems that they're seeing is around uh, labor shortage and getting assays back and getting the equipment uh, to site and keeping it there. And the labor shortage itself has an impact on the fact, you know, where you might set out to do two shifts a day or sometimes even three shifts a day. Some companies are only able to do one shift a day. So what, what, what are you seeing out there? Yeah, so I mean, that, that, you know, you're spot on with those comments, and we are not immune to those. We are in Western Australia. Uh, with respect to COVID-19, the borders are still, broadly speaking, closed there. And what that means is that about 40% of the workforce that works in the Western Australian mines actually comes from other parts of Australia or just outside of the, co the country. Now, if you have a two-week quarantine required on both ends of that travel, obviously it means that predominantly that 40% workforce stayed at home. So what that's created, the environment inside of Western Australia is a highly competitive market for talented and skilled labor. On top of that, what you've seen is the iron ore 
industry has simply been nothing short of explosive in, in Western Australia. So they are poaching a lot of, of strong technical talent from other areas of the mining sector, which means, of course, that we have to compete with them. Um, and what we're doing is, is pretty innovative. We're not only competing, obviously, with remuneration, which does matter, but all the, also other aspects of the story, of, of telling Cora's story, of getting them to be owners in the business, of doing other things such as this net zero uh, initiative that we just announced a couple of days ago, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. So really making them proud to work at Cora is very, very important. Now, Graham did an amazing job last year securing a lot of our employees to, to longer term contracts, but also, you know, leading from, from the top down in terms of showing them why is a great place to work. With Paul coming down there, it has only emphasized that even stronger. They are, you know, in generally speaking, thrilled to work for those two gentlemen, uh, you know, out of the Perth office, but also at the mine site. So we've done everything we can to allevi alleviate, um, you know, people leaving Cora and going elsewhere. But, you know, if, if COVID-19 situations occur in, in Australia for another year, of course, there's going to be upwards cost pressure. The important thing is we did preempt this last year with our budget. We made sure that we incorporated internal cost pressures in our budget for 2021. So none of this will affect our cost guidance this year. We will continue to deliver. In fact, if, if borders open up earlier than we expected, we'd expect some cost uh, pressure declines uh, as that workforce comes back into Western Australia. So we've been very prepared. Nobody's immune, but you know, fortunately for us, Cora has been an unbelievable place to work over the last two years, and it's definitely recognized at the mine phase too. See, you missed a phrase there. It interests me, um, which is you know to enable workers to be owners of the company, hmm. right? Because it seems to be a new language coming into mining, and it's all around this ESG component. You, you yourself have got a net zero initiative, which you know I'd like to talk to you about in a second. But do you feel hmm. that? The sort of language around, you know, ownership and responsibility and, you know, you know, carbon sequestration and net zero. These things are essential because you should do them or they're essential because the big funds are demanding it of you. I think the answer is both. Absolutely. Um, you know, we, you, you can look at this through either lens. I think the reality as well is that, you know, as we move through the 21st century, this is a, a, a global challenge. It's, it's a global topic. People do care about it. There is a massive changing of the guard um, as we move through all these initiatives that are happening around the world. And quite honestly, um, mining is going to be the critical driver of all of these materials that's required for us to tackle these cha climate change goals and, and also for decarbonization. So why not place the industry that needs to feed this solution at the forefront of it? And what we're seeing uh, with a lot of people, right from miners all the way through corporate office, is a lot of younger people and people that care about this, you know, we're really switched on. The fact that we're launching these kind of initiatives makes us more attractive than a lot of our peers in the industry, certainly in other commodities too. So it does matter for sure. The second half of your question, which of course is very important for, for stakeholder and shareholder return is, is you know, the fund flows. Um, it is unbelievable what's happened in just the past 18 months. Look, last year, we saw $151 billion flowing into ESG-focused funds uh, and ETFs globally. $70 billion of that was in North America alone. So what used to be a nice to have is now becoming a prerequisite for investment from the world's largest funds. There's a very interesting alliance called the Net Zero Global Asset Management Alliance 
$37 trillion of asset under management have all committed to a framework where their investee companies now have to not only report on progress, but have a plan in place to address these targets. And mining is certainly going to be in their crosshairs. So we're talking about the largest funds in the world, the BlackRocks, the Pembertons, the Invesco's, the Fidelities. So if you want to have access to that capital, you can do it one of two ways. You can wait a year from now and catch up to everybody else. Or you can get ahead of the curve and be an investment of choice and be a pioneer in the space, which is what we're trying to do it for. Okay, so first mover advantage, critical when it comes to say the net zero uh, initiative. Here's a problem yep. I hear from CEOs to put their hand up and go, we've got an ESG initiative. I'm not quite sure how to measure it or what I'm actually meant to be doing, but I know I've got to be doing ESG. So yep. how are companies going to be judged and what should they be doing? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So they, as I said, the, the first uh, the first step is making a statement. So that's what we did with the net zero company uh, just a few days ago. Uh, look, we were approached by this group, um, top to bottom qualifications from from mine, former mine managers, all the way up to carbon market experts and decarbonization mine experts in between. And what they've uh, approached us with is, is a very comprehensive solution, which, you know, after this partnership that's been announced, the next phase will be announcing part of our plan, uh, the first steps that we're taking through it and then setting uh, aggressive but achievable goals over the next several years and delivering on that plan. So it's about two things, having a plan and realistic goals, as well as reporting on that plan and progress each year. And a good thing uh, for shareholders to note is that Quora will be releasing its inaugural ESG report in early 2022, of which the, you know, the, the carbon uh, solution and, and uh, decarbonization of our mines and our approach towards this will form an integral component. So a statement first and foremost, but then outlining a defined plan and tracking progress as you go. And that's, that's critical for all ESG components. So, and how do you measure that? Because that's going to take time. It's going to take money, but the return for you is is clearly meaningful. It's it's enough to get you over the line. So it's it's you're saying it's essential. You can't not do this anymore. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of devising the plan, that's why we have a team of experts helping us out there. Look, we at, at Cora, obviously at the core of us, we are gold miners. We, we understand how to mine gold and we understand how to deliver it to the market. Um, we brought in a, a team of outside experts and helped us d- design that plan and design something that is, is achievable but aggressive at the same time. And then we will measure ourselves against that plan. The other world, uh, of course, which exists in ESG is ESG rating companies. So there are two large agencies called MSCI and Sustainalytics that rate everything from manufacturers of bow ties all the way through to uh, you know gold mining companies. Um, one of the areas which we'll be targeting will obviously be improving those scores, but even more important than that, and what we're seeing the world's largest funds do is they say, okay, you have an interesting ESG score, nice to have, tell me more. And we are getting... 100 or 100 question long lists from uh, these funds asking us for more details about what we're doing. So they're doing their own due diligence. So it's important that we don't just rely on these external agencies, but also that we have a very comprehensive internal plan and that we disclose it on our website as we progress every single year. And that's how you're attracting some of the biggest capital in the world. Okay. I think we should come back to that another time because I think that's a really big topic in its own right and deserving of a big conversation. Because it, it's sure. like, this is no longer marketing. It used to be a case of people talked about, oh, the need for proper HR. And then it was, oh, we, you know, we need to, um, we need to, you know, do something for the local community. We, you know, it was all just bits and pieces. 
cobbled it together and then it's kind of grown into something else uh, called ESG, which again, people measure in different ways. But let's, let's come back to that. You are miners. You had a good mm-hmm. first quarter. The numbers looked yeah. not too shabby. They're on, on guidance. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, we did just under 25,000 ounces in the first quarter was great. Another notch in our belt. Of course, uh, we had telegraphed that to the market. And as you saw, all of our research analysts um, picked up on it, that that was a transitional quarter where we're uh, winding down one open pit uh, in Fairplay North and starting up another one. Uh, Very importantly, moving over the course of the year, what you're going to see sequentially is a quarter over quarter improvement in grades and and ultimately in ounces as we deliver, you know, as, as we mentioned with our guidance last year, a stronger second half of the year versus the first half of the year. That's coming from several projects uh, which are coming online in the second half, which we can discuss uh, in a little bit from now. But it was it was a great start to the first quarter, um, as as was acknowledged by all of our analysts. And you know, not the least of who actually just last week, we had uh, Scotiabank uh, launch coverage on us. That is our first major bank that launched coverage on us. So we're thrilled to have Ovase and Eric uh, working with us. Um, but yeah, it was a great start to the year. Second quarter, obviously can't give you numbers, but uh, we've had a very strong second quarter. Things are going very, very well. Uh, and we're excited to deliver that to the market as well. Okay. Last time I, when I spoke with Paul last, he sort of intimated, indicated this year is about getting everything in place. You mentioned increasing grades across the board. You've got a number of targets which you're you're looking at. So 100,000 ounce a year producer, great stuff. But to go from 100,000 ounce to 250, that, that's when you move from meaningful junior to you know mid-tier, right? Do you think that you have the pieces in place now to be able to allow you to do that? Yeah, so we've been working on that very hard for you know the better part of of nine nine to twelve months. A uh, lot of engineering work. Um, you know, we talked about labor cost pressures before. It wasn't just at the mine site; it was all also at the local engineering offices. So we've worked very hard to put that together. Of course, you know, uh, we've stated that by the end of the second quarter, we will be announcing our growth plan. And uh, we're very excited to announce that to the market and to our shareholders. That is going to elevate us into the next category. Can't wrap numbers around it as it states right now, but a lot of Paul's work is arriving in Australia, making sure that we've got everything in place to execute on this plan. And it is going to take uh, Cora overall to the next level. Okay, well, we'll talk, talk to us about that because I'm, I'm interested. You're going to release a growth plan. Mm-hmm. So what's going to be in it? You can't give us numbers. Yeah. What's going to be in it? No, absolutely. So it's going to be a three-year ranged guidance. So we'll, we'll have the next three years of guidance out there to the market, which will give uh, everybody you know very uh, strong confidence in our next three years of production. Uh, not the least of you, of course, are our analysts who will then model off the back of that. Uh, we'll give cost guidance, production guidance. We'll give guidance on capital as well. And uh, we'll give the components of what we're doing to, to get uh, ourselves to that next level. So it's going to involve a major expansion at, at Beta Hunt. Um, that, that asset is... Uh, proving to be much larger than I think we ever anticipated when we restarted it in mid-2019. It'll also involve a, a mill expansion, and uh, we'll give details of both of those, of course, uh, in, in the coming update. And then there's tremendous exploration success, which we'll be able to backfill uh, many of those out years um, in, in order to take us to the next level beyond that. 
Okay, and what what happens with the like resource and um, reserve numbers for this year? Yeah, so so uh, this will be based on the 2020 numbers, of course. Um, we are drilling uh, at a furious pace. Uh, unfortunately, not able to assay at a furious pace, but that's again another uh, issue which we've run into, uh, and everybody has in Western Australia. Um, all of that will will uh, be flowing into our 2021 update um, that'll come out towards the end of this year or early next year, and that'll be sort of another um, step forward in adding more confidence to the longer term mine plan beyond this growth plan. So lots of interesting things will be included in that 2021 resource for the first time ever. Not the least of which is probably our most exciting discovery at Beta Hunt, which is the Larkin Zone. So the Larkin Zone, of course, was not in the 2020 reserve and resource numbers. Um, we announced discovery of that in September last year. In just nine months, we have managed to drill that off over 650 meters of strike extent, and we believe it extends for a full kilometer. Now, the pace of drilling that out from underground has been very, very impressive. The reason why we've been able to do that is that Steve Devlin, who is our chief geologist, is in a very, very... Uh, fortuitous position, and I'm sure he's the envy of lots of other mine geologists, where all of his drill bays are already in place. He's able to drill off from existing underground development. Uh, we've mentioned it many times before, the 400 kilometers of existing underground development we have at Beta Hunt. So he's managed to drill off this zone at a much faster pace rather than waiting for development to get to his drill base and then setting up his drill. Phenomenal results there. Uh, you know, don't need to read them all out to everybody, uh, but you know, looks like could be up to double the grade of what we're currently mining. That's not a resource grade. We haven't estimated it just yet, but certainly will be higher than where we're mining in Western Flanks and A Zone. And look, uh, I think I believe Paul mentioned it in February. We could be mining the Larkin Zone as early as next year, but first we need to get it into that resource estimate. And then we'll talk uh, some numbers coming out of there, but very, very exciting. That won't be part of the growth plan just yet. So that is incremental to what we're going to be releasing in two weeks. Um, but very excited to get the Larkin Zone online. Yeah, some real, there's some real scale here, I think, which I think people are just starting to appreciate the extent of what, what you've got here. But let me come back to the assays though, okay? Just help me understand how it works because you're doing a lot of infill drilling. Will you be yep. reporting all of that infill drilling? Yeah, look, so uh, a lot of the infill drilling that we do, uh, just heads, we, we've actually just take one step further back. We constructed an on-site lab that we're looking to, to do a lot of our grade control drilling on ahead of mining. That's step number one. So a lot of our drilling doesn't actually uh, fall into the category of uh, something that you'd want to report every week um, externally. Otherwise, we'd be barraging people with pages and pages of drill results every week, and we don't want to do that. Secondly, uh, the infill drilling uh, with respect to a lot of our open pits, um, not all of that does get reported. That, that's something that will go into the reserve, uh, reserve estimate. Exploration results where we are truly stepping outside of the boundaries of, of existing resource shells, drilling off new targets. Those are the results that, of course, must be assayed by independent third parties outside of our firm at a separate lab. Those are the ones that have had slow turnaround. And, you know, I, I think I echo uh, Paul's sentiments and the fact that we wish we could get these assays back earlier and faster. Um, but delays have been upwards of two months in some circumstances in terms of getting those uh, those assays back. Why is that the case? We already talked about the labor shortages, but unsurprisingly, everybody in Western Australia who was mining last year also enjoyed great metal prices and, and you know, they have strong balance sheets. And if you look at exploration budgets across the sector this year, they're up over 30 to 40% versus last year. So everybody's drilling, everybody wants their exploration assays back, 
They're all competing for the same number of labs, but with fewer people due to COVID-19 restrictions. So that creates a real bottleneck. Um, you know, look, if you're in the assay lab business, it's a good time to be in the business right now. Uh, but we, we get them when we get them, we disclose them when we have them. Uh, and we certainly had some tremendous results that we put out to the market so far this year. Okay, so I get your constructing and planning this year to allow you to do that step change to go from 100,000 to something bigger, meaningfully bigger, okay? I get the planning work. You, you said to me at the beginning of the year you're going to do it. I, I understand that. Here's a question for you as a senior gold equity analyst from GMP of yesteryear. If you're analyzing your company based on the 100,000 ounces, not all the, uh, the, the, the land that you've got, the expression, just on a 100,000 year an ounce producer, where do you, how much of your current value is, should be attributed to that in relation to, say, your peers? Because it, it yeah, well, let me, let's get your view first. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, that's that's a that's a really good question, actually. Uh, I'm glad that you asked. I obviously spent uh, six years at GMP Securities as a research analyst prior to this. Um, and when you look at you know true fundamental analysis from the bottom up, which is what you know our, our research analysts that cover us do a great job of doing. Um, if you look at us as a hundred thousand ounce producer and said that we were going to be a hundred thousand ounces a year for the rest of this company's lifetime, which is obviously not the case. We trade at somewhere between a 0.6 and a 0.7 times live and amp, right? The average of our peer group is somewhere around that same, same number. So we are, for all intents and purposes, maybe slightly undervalued for a 100,000 ounce producer, but not by much. But the key here is that we are not going to be a 100,000 ounce producer for very long. Paul mentioned it before, we're setting ourselves up for this growth plan. And when we put out that growth plan and the market is able to digest that, to understand it, we get out there, we market our institutions, we get on channels like Crux to talk to our retail shareholders, and we help people understand what we've rolled out over the next three years, that's when you get the next level of re-rate. Not only from uh, the NAV perspective in terms of your total asset valuation, but also from a multiple perspective. So as you shift from a junior producer into a mid-tier producer status, not only does your asset value go up, but your multiple goes up. You trade at a higher multiple. Same thing when you go from mid-tier to senior, same thing when you go from senior to what they call mega cap now in the gold space. So your multiple increases, your NAV increases, and that provides your overall market cap increase. So we do expect that re-rate to come for sure. Um, but very importantly, when you look at valuation, you need to look at true fundamentals. And that's what our research analysts do. That's why they spend hours and hours building these models and value us based on every news release that we have out there. That's the way to value a company. Okay, but if I look at the some of the assets which you haven't talked about today, you know, like Two Boys and Spargas and Aquarius, and you obviously mentioned Larkin and Beta Hunt there already. Do you think anyone's attributing value to those now? Because you haven't you haven't announced too much about them, so it's it's hard to. So yeah. are we going to expect to see more from each of those to allow people to get, you know, apply some of these multiples, apply some of these ratios? Yeah, that's a that's a, you know, that's a fantastic question. And, and I take that one step back, um, you know, having spent a long time as an analyst, probably the single most valuable thing for me as an analyst during my career was going to site. And when you go to site, you really get to understand the value and the potential of each of the assets in that in that suite of assets. So, you know, obviously at Higginsville, uh, we have a tremendous number of targets, past producing mines. Um, so the story uh, has many moving parts, 
Unfortunately, due to COVID-19, of course, we haven't been able to have analysts down to site. So of course, we're having conversations with them. They have access to management teams. But for them to really, truly understand and crystallize that value, you can never, ever overestimate the value of a site visit. So one thing I'm personally very excited about is when these restrictions do open up is getting all of our analysts down on site for another uh, refresher on, on a site visit perspective. And that will crystallize value that maybe we even would, wouldn't attribute in our valuation. With respect to where we are today, as Spargo starts to deliver in the third quarter, as Aquarius comes online, as Two Boys comes online, as people get to better understand Mount Henry, all of these areas, and not the least of which we should, which we should definitely talk about is the nickel potential at, at Beta Hunt. As all of that stuff is able to be crystallized, you will see more of that flow into their net asset value valuations, increasing that denominator and ultimately increasing the value of the company. Can, well, here's the thing. I'm going a bit old school here. It used to, it used to be about making money. Companies used to be about making money, right? So you produced 88 million net cash last year. Fantastic. What what did you do in uh, Q1? Yeah, so we uh, Q1 was basically flat. So we injected $18 million into the business. Obviously, all of that is ahead of this growth plan. Significant capital deployment. Uh, some of that went into equipment. Some of it went into our phase one mill expansion, which is already underway. By the way, tracking well ahead of schedule. We expected to exit the year at 1.6 million tons per annum. We'll probably deliver that in the third quarter at some point. So tremendous work by the operations team there. So invested in the business. One cash was essentially flat, um, but obviously as we scale forward, uh, we'll generate more cash as well. Um, one of the other key things to remember as well is that this growth plan, of course, requires cash. So the cash that we put on the balance sheet last year and that we continuously built up quarter after quarter, you can do one of two things with cash. You can spend it now and have to finance later at potentially unforeseeable terms. Or you can hold on to that cash, make sure that your capital allocation decisions are made uh, with understanding what your future needs will be, which of course is this growth plan coming up. So we're excited to deploy that cash into our growth plan uh, and make sure that we have absolutely no funding gaps for what's coming down the road. Brilliant. So how much of the 88 are you allocating towards the growth plan? Are we spending it all? So the good thing about this growth plan, obviously cannot give you precise numbers, but it is a, a three-year uh, guidance plan. You'll get capital numbers each year in that guidance plan. But what I can tell you is there is no major upfront item. It is phased. It is a phased growth plan, a phased capital plan. There is no uh, you know, major ticket item that needs to be ordered in July, which eliminates all of the cash. Uh, we're able to phase it out um, and still continue to generate free cash flow from operations as we progress through the build. There you go. So when you say growth plan, you do mean growth plan, not sustaining plan. Yeah. Every dollar spent is about growing, generating yeah, more dollars. Absolutely. For sure. And, you know, from a capital allocation standpoint, what you look for is if I spend $1 on option A, option B or option C, how many dollars do I get back from each dollar invested? It, it really is important. Everything we do from decisions that we make in the market to acquisitions, to royalty conversations, to cap capital deployment on new equipment, everything goes through a very strict process where we must get maximum return on that dollar. Um, and we must make sure that we have the capital that will be required ultimately to mine gold further down the road. Right, so that's what we can expect to see. So there's a lot of clues in this conversation about increasing grade, increasing answers, decreasing costs. I saw the ASIC number down to 912, it's pretty impressive. So this is all about growth. You feel you've got the assets that can deliver growth. Absolutely, Okay. Yep. 
Okay. Um, so one other, so I, I forgot to mention um, Lake Cowan. Um, what's happening there? Yeah, yeah. So Lake Cowan is is very, very uh, interesting, uh, very ex- exciting. Obviously, we released results on that earlier this year. Uh, we had a scout drilling program where we were uh, drilling with an AeroCore drill rig, essentially 100 meters vertical holes. They use a lot, a lot of them in Western Africa. What you're doing there, and uh, forgive uh, any technical experts that might be watching this, you turn it, the ground into Swiss cheese. Basically, you're trying to cover a, a large area, punch a lot of holes, and vector in on targets that will then allow you to use either RC drill or diamond drilling to really understand those targets better. Now, we were looking for anything that was over 0.02 grams per ton. So anomalous gold, I, I call it smoke, looking for fire. We ended up drilling, of course, that one hole, which was you know, an ore grade intercept, 50 meters of 1.35 grams per ton from surface when all we were looking was uh, for anything over 0.02. So very, very interesting target. It matches up with a lot of historical drilling done by previous owners of, of the uh, property. And so what we are doing now is, is basically collecting all of those assays, which again, of course, are unfortunately delayed. Those are exploration assays. They're not great control. They're not reserve estimation. They're a true, true greenfields exploration. We're collecting all of those assays and we're designing the next program. One thing that is very, very important for people to understand from an exploration standpoint is you never want to drill blind. So in order to decide where your next drill hole goes, you need all of the results back from your previous program. The last thing you want to do is drill on incomplete uh, information. So getting all of that information back, digesting it, understanding it, and designing the next big drill holes that we want to put into that area is something that we're working through right now. And we'll be drilling uh, those target areas later this year, early next year, for sure. Um, But that's where we're looking for very, very large deposits. If you look at some of our neighbors, you've got St. Ives to the north, 14 million ounces, Norseman to the south, 6 million ounces. The scale of what we think uh, Beta Hunt can be is truly tremendous. Obviously, not the least of which to the north, we have Kalgoorlie, 60 million ounces. It is the territory of mega deposits. Uh, we've got the largest coverage of the major structure that hosts all of those deposits under our property. So Lake Cowan really is truly uh, exciting greenfields exploration. Nobody's more excited than us than getting some big drills into those targets and seeing what we have underneath that lake and making sure that we uh, deliver those results to the market when we have them. Okay. Well, I look forward to start seeing when when that all starts moving moving ahead. Um, we said we talk about nickel. We better talk about nickel. Royal Nickel Company. The irony. The, the Royal Nickel Company's back. Yeah, <laughs> it's not. Exactly. It's not. <laughs> what, what's happening there? I was seeing some pretty high-grade nickel coming out of the ground. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, the irony of the high-grade nickel we have. It, they had, look, nobody, nobody's happier than we are. Um, uh, obviously, given what that can, the impact that that can have on our byproduct cost structure and how that can make uh, Beta Hunt an even better asset than it is today. So, if you look at what we did last year, and for those of you that dig into MDNAs and financials, you will see this in last year's report. Look, we we mined uh, 2.9%, which is our resource grade nickel last year. That delivered uh, somewhere between $30 and $44 an ounce if you look at Beta Hunt or the company on, on a standalone basis and byproduct credits last year, right? That, you know, th- those are pretty good. Um, and as we've mentioned, uh, BHP, who's next door, takes the ore directly from surface for us, so we don't have any processing costs whatsoever. Now, that's very interesting. But when you look at what we announced above that uh, Larkin zone, the 30C, which had intercepts that were up to, you know, 7, 8% nickel, you kind of scratch your head and go like, all right, I mean, that's within 10 meters of where they're going to be mining gold from existing infrastructure. Very, very interesting. But then when you look what we announced a couple months ago um, in the 50C slash gamma zone, 
Um, that is some truly remarkable rock that we hit there. Like it was up to 11 to 18% nickel. Very, very interesting. Very exciting. The old beta mine, which was, you know, one of the, the foundational, um, obviously in beta hunts, but also one of the foundations of the entire operation. Um, they mined a lot of high grade nickel from there, not saying it's another beta mine saying it's very interesting, looks very similar. We now have a dedicated nickel team on our exploration side. So we've got several geologists who are focused purely on nickel now. Their objective is to drill off both those major targets, ring them into some form of resource by the end of this year, and then wrap a mine plan around them. Now, if you read between the lines here, I did say that we're working on that now. That will not be part of our growth plan that we put out in the next, uh, next few weeks here. Um, it's not gonna be part of that three-year guidance today. But as we get more information and as we understand what we're sitting on top of there, we'll obviously incorporate that in future updates. Hopefully by the end of this year, we'll have a better picture of what we can do there. But that is on top of the Larkin, on top of the higher grade nickel, two incremental projects that we can improve on what's going to be an impressive growth plan already. But you must have sort of sense of whether that's going to be nickel credits or it's a resource with a separate project and... Therefore, what can you do with it? Yeah, yeah, I think I think it's important. I mean, look, while the nickel and having high grade nickel is absolutely fantastic and, and we're thrilled to mine it, you know, basically from the same infrastructure that we're mining gold, ultimately we are a gold company. Right? We are focused squarely on gold. We are growing gold production. We have uh, an enormous uh, gold bearing property, which we need to explore more fully. Um, so we will always be a gold company. But you look, if we have uh, some very material byproduct credits from nickel, I don't think anybody will be, be complaining. Uh, we will never be a nickel company with a gold credit. It will always be the other way around. We're focused on that sector and that sector specifically. But uh, having that, let's call gold price hedge, a natural hedge built in by having these nickel credits is something that will serve us very well. Look, I think all of us are pretty constructive on the gold price uh, in the near and the medium term, despite even what happened with yesterday's Fed, Fed announcement. Um, I think we're all very, very constructive. But should gold roll over you know, to materially lower prices in a year or two or three or four years from now, we have that natural built in hedge, the byproduct credit that buffers us from, from basically being 100% exposed to gold. So very nice to have. We will continue to build it out. We have a separate team focusing on it now. We'll get a mine plan together and better understand what we can get there from there in terms of numbers towards the end of the year. Um, but first and foremost, a gold company, and we always will be. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting you say that because, um, you know, especially in light of the conversations around, you know, the like net zero and the ESG with the big funds and so forth. You've You've changed, fundamentally changed this. We talked about in 2020 about you being the turnaround story of the year. Um, this year can, you know, is a building year, setting the scene, setting the stage for this step change in, in, in the business. And you've got, what, you're up to, what, 55, 60% institutional now, right? From, I don't know, yeah. what, five or 10 when we first started speaking. So a lot has changed, a lot has changed. Do you think people have now bought into and give you credit as a company for the way that you've done things? Or are you still getting advice from the sidelines about, oh, you should have done this, should have done that? I mean, what, what are the institutions say, for instance? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I think what you said uh, is really important. So look, we have seven quarters under our belt from essentially going from uh, you know inconsistent uh, production previously to the acquisition of the Higginsville mill to now seven quarters of ounce delivery and we won't rehash all of the things that happened last year. Our investors are very well aware of them. Um, 
consistent cost reductions across the platform. So we've shown that we can deliver with assets once unencumbered by royalties that nobody else could deliver on previously. So now when we roll out this growth plan, and you can understand why the institution has been buying in droves over the last several months ahead of this growth plan, um, we will get the credit that we will be able to deliver on that growth plan moving forward. Paul's relocation to Australia and his experience as an operator, as a mine builder, is giving additional uh, sort of strength behind what we're going to be delivering. So the answer to your question is absolutely yes. Everybody has been very, very impressed, obviously happy with their share price returns on a relative basis compared to the GDX versus where we were in 2019. But I think we will get the credit for what we're going to put out. People will believe it. It's got some solid engineering behind it, and we're excited to deliver it. So do you think that, without mentioning the Fraser Institute, please, do you think <laughs> that being a gold-focused but single, uh, you know, single jurisdiction company, do you think are you mitigating that by having multiple targets, or are you? Is it in the works, or is it in consideration that you may have to mitigate the single jurisdiction risk in other ways? Yeah, no, that that's a good question. I mean, WA has been both the best place and a challenging place to be over the last year. We already talked about you know the, the COVID nineteen and and labor challenge part of it. However, when we talk about mining country, and you know when you think about the United States, you think about Nevada. Uh, obviously, Paul and the team have a lot of experience there. But when you think of Australia, Western Australia is mining country. Look at what happened in the last year there. So, without mentioning the Fraser Institute, Western Australia actually exited last year with a budget surplus. Why did they have a budget surplus? Mining. That 2.5% state royalty actually delivered a budget surplus in a year where all other businesses were squashed. So it is an unbelievably pro-mining state and an unbelievably pro-mining country. So it is a fantastic place to be. We have a diverse range of assets in that country and if we ever did leave Australia and decide to look somewhere else, we would never want to dilute the jurisdictional quality. We want to give investors a pure play gold vehicle in what I consider to be the best place to mine gold in the world. Fantastic. Oliver, good to catch up. Um, good to have you back in the country as well. And um, hopefully we're going to see Paul in a few weeks, I think, post yes, growth that's- plan announcement. That's right. Yeah, he'll be delivering the next update and is excited to do so. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, cruxinvestor.com and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.